Good morning. How are we all this morning? We're okay. We're uh, average. We're not sure. We're happy. We sing that song, Oh Happy Day, and I look around the church and I'm like, oi, oi, oi. I've got to remind myself to smile when I'm singing that song. Concentrating on the words so hard, I don't smile. Happy day. Happy Father's Day. Okay, I'm, I'm excited about today. God, the Father, would uh, desire to reveal himself to every single one of us. And my hope, my aim for us today is that each one of us would feel the love of God as a father. It's my desire. It's what I'm aiming for. And I uh, hope that that's your experience out of today. Now, I'm sure we have many, many dads with us today. Put your hand up if you're a dad. Put your hand up nice and high. Lots of dads. Cool. Who, who is, who, who, who's the youngest dad in our midst? Mikey, how old are you? 22. Any dads younger than that? No? Okay. Congratulations. Who, who's been a dad the longest? Who, who reckons they've got the oldest child? Not me. No. no. I might look like I'm 70, but... So who reckons they've got... Who, Tom, how old's your oldest? 40. Anyone got a child older than 40? Bakers. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of interest, you know. We have a oh, Alison, how old's your eldest? You're 82. You're not a dad, though, but how old's your eldest? Okay. It's good. It's great. We're a family. Like, let, let, me, let me say this. Um, can all the dads stand up? All the dads stand up. All the dads. So here's the thing. If you don't have a dad, if you miss your dad, he lives away from you, or he's left this, this world, or um, if there's stuff going on and you're just not connected, look around you. Look around you. We like to share our dads. We like to say that others can fulfill that role. If you need a, a word of advice or if you need a, a friendly a shoulder to lean on, if you need some help being a, a young person or, a, or if you need help in marriage or work or life, look around you. Dads are a source of God's wisdom. And it's the way that God designed family. That's not to take away from mums or the rest of you in the family, but I wanted today to honour the men. And while you're standing, I want to read a, a scripture over you. It's on the screen here, and it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. My beloved brothers, this is a, a declaration I'm making over those standing. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me pray for you. Lord, I honor these men today as spiritual dads. And I pray today that they would be encouraged by you that the work that they do in raising children, the work they do in the workplace, the work they do in the community, on the home, in many aspects of their life, God, that they would know they don't labor in vain, that their efforts are bearing fruit with eternal purpose, that they are speaking words of hope, they're speaking words of life, They've got the ability to speak destiny into people when they partner with you. And God, we know that when we partner with you, we don't labor in vain. 
So I declare a blessing over these dads in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, give the dads a, a round of applause. Why don't, we, why don't we turn the volume up? I've got uh, something. That, oh, Doug, excuse me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. We are called to be a community, are we not? And so Doug's saying that we carry a responsibility to be a father to those who need a father. Well, we, I invite you to look at the screen. I want to remind you that dads are pretty cool. So why don't we have a look at this, um, this video and enjoy it. Good role models are required in our society. Men of stature, men of wisdom, men of safety. Men who carry the world in the palm of their hand. Men who like adventure. Men who will go to any length to win a race at any cost. You know, dads love to have fun. Dads love to push the limits. Dads love to be silly. Kids love that. Kids love dads who are crazy. We should do more high fives, I reckon. Now, you have to imagine that this would be before dinner and not after dinner. But we've got to live life at pace, I reckon. Hopefully this is not just before bedtime. Now, this reminds me of someone in our church who I won't name, but this dude's got moves. It's always good to help around the home and then go get some groceries for mum. It's mum's shopping car they're taking for a ride. I love the dance of this dad. The timing is perfect. Now this also reminds me of someone who sits in the front row of our church. Dads are cool, eh? Dads are really cool. Maybe, maybe you think these guys are a bit crazy, but these guys love their kids. And I, I suppose we need to be careful that you know, not everyone has an, a, an environment like that. Not everyone has that in their life. Maybe, maybe there are circumstances in your life that contradict what I'm showing you or what I'm talking about when I talk about dads who love their kids. And so today as I move into this topic of 
dads, I am going to be gentle, and I'm going to point to a perfect father. And I want to acknowledge that perhaps for some of you that your memories are full of pain or hurt, perhaps you're disconnected from God. I spoke with someone recently, we were talking about life, and um, you know, they said, hey, look, I've got a family, you know, it's good, it's great, but when I pray, it feels like God's not listening. When I try and read my Bible, it's just a book with words on a page that don't mean anything to me. Well, my hope out of today is that by the time I'm finished presenting a message of hope to you, that you might see a God who is a father, and you might see him in a new way. God's prepared a message today where he's going to lead us to a point of connection. Um, I, I was really fortunate. Like, my upbringing, I had a, we had a great family. Mum, dad, three kids, I was the eldest. My dad worked pretty hard, but he, he traded the hours he worked for time off. And so I, I shared last Sunday night that there were times when he was free during the week to come and spend time with us. But it wasn't always like that. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't rosy every single day in there. It was a season in my life where me and my dad were disconnected. And, and it wasn't easy. In fact, it was really tough. But I, I knew deep down that wasn't, that wasn't God's design for family. That wasn't God's design for us because we were struggling. And so I asked God to show me what does family look like and what, is, what does love look like? And God took me to this place, as He often does, He took me to this, this memory of a, a situation where I was, I, I believe I was under 10 years old, around that time, uh, and my parents went to Australia for a conference, but it's the first time I could actually remember them going away. I'm sure they had nights off, weekends off, things like that, but this is the, me recognizing that they were like ages away, because they went to Australia. And, um, and there was that time of separation, and we stayed with friends, we were well taken care of, it wasn't kind of like, lock the door, here's the toaster, you'll be alright. We were, we were put, in, put in with some friends of the family, and, and we were loved for the week that they were away. But God took me to the memory of the afternoon that they came home. And I remember, you know, it sounds cheesy, it's like the movies, but it was tr- it's true, I remember sitting at the windowsill looking for the car, and the car pulled in the driveway, and my feet didn't touch the ground as I ran out the front door and down the steps and, and I launched into my dad's arms and, and we were connected again. And I had this, this, this experience, this memory of this huge bear hug um, and dad squeezed me tight and he, he told me how much he loved me and he told me how much he missed me and my dad told me how much happiness he had to be home with me again, connected. And God said to me, that's a picture of how much he loves us. Now, it's my desire to help people find that revelation for themselves. God wants you to know how much he loves you. God wants you to know how much he misses you. And God wants you to know how happy it makes him to be connected with you. So the title of my message today, for those of you taking notes, is Father of Freedom. 
And what I aim to do, what I, my, my goal is really to help you more understand more fully the love that God has for every single one of us, that there would be a, a progression or advancement in your personal revelation. It doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've come from, doesn't matter how you found your way here, doesn't matter what you've done in the past, the God of heaven who created you passionately cares for you. And he desires for you to come and experience his love that it would wash over you, to remind you that He is your Father, that He loves you, and He loves you very, very much. And I want to show you today that it's God's love that opens up, it's God's love that opens up freedom, freedom that's available for all of us. This is, looks like freedom from the past. It looks like freedom from pain. It looks like freedom from bondage or suffering, freedom from our own weaknesses or inadequacies, freedom from constant sickness or repeated accidents. And I acknowledge, because this is what I do in leading people towards freedom, but I acknowledge that many people struggle to see that freedom. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the major obstacle we often put in the way of us experiencing God's freedom. And I pray that your heart is open to see what God's got for you today, to see the message of hope that He's prepared for every single one of us. We're going to have a look at Scripture. The Bible is full of passages of Scripture that outline God's love for us. It's, it, the, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians to start with. And... Um, for those of you that want some devotional reading, I want to point you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. If you're looking for devotional reading this week, then land on this. Spend time reading it and rereading it. Just meditate on it. Dwell on the words. Dwell on the frame of a sentence. Ask God to highlight key words for you and then ask Him why He's highlighted those for you. And I believe when you do that, you'll see how much God loves you. But for the purpose of this morning, as a starting point, I just want to zoom in on two verses in that passage, and that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and we have them on the screen for you from the Amplified Version. God, being so very rich in mercy... Because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. It's God's love that has drawn us into favor and mercy, and it's favor and mercy that saves us. This whole passage is what I refer to as a message of hope, and it's available to all of us who would declare with faith that Jesus is the Son of God that came to earth. And when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the risen Son of God, then the Bible says we're invited in and acknowledged as God's children. What I want to show you shortly is how that plays out. And how the freedom God's made available for us is accessed. But before I do that, 
I need to explain something, and I want to I want to call out a common uh, a common error, if I could say it that way, because we get to choose how much freedom we experience. Now, there's a parallel in Scripture um, that's a good example of this, and it's a story that's found in Acts chapter 12. I'm not going to read it. You can go and find it later if you want to follow it up. But Peter, the friend of Jesus, is in prison for preaching about Jesus. He gets put in prison, he's locked up, and he's sitting there in a dungeon, which is a cave outside the city. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes and breaks open the door and the chains and, and says, come, come out, let's go. And, and Peter's kind of, when you read the story, he's kind of, it sounds like he's, he's like in a stupor. He's still half asleep. He's not aware of what's going on. And he just kind of lolls along behind this angel, like that didn't freak you out, I don't know what will. And he goes past the first guard, and he goes, which doesn't notice him, goes past the second guard, which doesn't notice him, and he goes through the gates towards the city. And he suddenly realizes, oh, whoa, actually, what just happened? I'm free. And off he goes to the house of his friends. Many, many Christians have had a visitation from God, perhaps not in physical form, but certainly in relationship. And God's come and he's unlocked the doors and he's broken the chains. Many Christians sit in that cell looking at the freedom, the broken chains and the open door, wondering what life would be like outside the gates. But often they stay in the comfortable seat. We get to choose how much freedom we experience. We get to choose what we step into. And, and, and you know me, I'm a, I'm a visual thinker, so I want to show you a picture that explains this as best I can. So this image on the screen is, is progressive of time from left to right. And the difference between our reality, I don't know if you can see it, in gray, and God's reality in white changes, hopefully, over time. At the beginning, we're all about ourselves and our life. We're 100% gray. And then there's a moment in time by the red arrow at the top of the screen, which I've called salvation. And instantly, we're made aware of who God is, and when we respond in a, in a receptive way to God, we, uh, we receive salvation, the Bible says, and we're aware of who God is, and suddenly reality shifts for us because we're aware of God. And over time, we walk with Him, we have a journey with God, and we hopefully experience more of His reality it's called maturity, and that's what Paul writes about so much in the New Testament. At the end of our time on this earth, we come to a point that I've marked on the screen as eternity. Now, we don't know when that is, but when eternity arrives, suddenly we move into a new space, which only Paul was able to see, in my understanding, of the fullness of God's reality. In the blink of an eye, when Jesus comes back, everything will be made real to us. We will have a full awareness of God's reality for eternity. But here's what I want to show you, because I'm, I'm really not an expert on the afterlife. I want to talk about this bit here. From the moment we receive salvation until the progression of time, we get to choose how much we experience of God's reality. 
And, and the reason I want to show you this is because I've got a warning for you, and it's this. Don't make wrong choices in life based on your wrong view of God. It will have an effect. Don't make wrong choices in life because of your wrong view of God. Many people view God through lenses, and look at the screen, watch this. When they do, it changes how they see God and how they experience God. They put filters in place, or traditions in place, or dare I say, religion in place, and it limits how they interact with God. Some people come to faith in Jesus Christ, recognize God as their heavenly Father, but they hang on to wrong views. The truth is, and I've said this to you before, God allows Himself to be limited by the choices people make. What you choose to believe is what you get. The truth is the truth. Your perception is your reality. And for some people in the church, it's much worse than the picture I show you. Look at this. Some people say a prayer, get a ticket to heaven, and never change anything in their life from that day forward. So their experience of God's reality is confined to what they think is true. They never expand their faith. They never mature as a disciple of Jesus. And as a result, they limit their relationship with God and His reality today. Now, the reason this is a big deal is how you experience God now will affect how you experience God in eternity. I don't mean this to be a downer. I'm just showing you what I see every week as I interact with people, as I help them, as I lead them to find freedom based on God's truth. You see, our Heavenly Father, the God to whom we just sung and worshipped, He desires that we would experience more and more and more of His life. He would desire that we would walk in greater measures of freedom as we get greater measures of maturity as we understand who God is. Now, the understanding of hope and experience can only come to us through a perfect Father. And the only perfect Father there is, is Father God. Father God is the only one who has that perfect nature that can show us the perfect nature of God. And, and I acknowledge that not many people have seen this as examples in the men on earth. I mean, we're all human. I heard a friend say something recently in a podcast, and I had to grin because it sounded like me. Uh, he said, look, he said, I'm not perfect. I need to apologize all the time. And the truth is, the closer you get to me, the more I have to apologize. And I'm like, dang, that sounds like me. But, but it's true because we're not perfect. And so what I'm saying to you is the only one who is perfect is God, our Father in heaven. God is the only one whom we can use as an example. And therefore, I say this. Do not make the mistake of allowing your imperfect experience to limit your connection with God as your Father. We often place filters in place based on our natural experience that cause a disconnection with God as our Father, and today we might want to have a look at some of those. Now what I love about the Scripture is that God reveals to us who He is through the Scripture. 
If, if you haven't spent much time in this book, this, this is like a love story between God and mankind. And it's got so many different ways that, 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 that God's love is explained. But in the story, God is revealed. God is shown to be a good and perfect father. And I, and I want to have a look at that this morning. I want to show you another picture. And this picture I'm calling the two sides of the cross. I want to I unpack more about God as our father so we can have a greater revelation of who he is. As you see the image on the screen, for those listening on the podcast, is it's a cross with two sides. And on the left-hand side, I've put love. And on the right-hand side, I've put grace. We're going to look at each side of the cross and how it applies to us and our lives in order that we might have a connection with God as our Father. So we're going to look at another passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. And um, there's two things going to happen here. One is I'm going, to, um, I'm going to ask someone, Vanessa, can you read me a passage? Can you read a passage of Scripture, please? Um, and then Jamie's going to voluntold some others to read verses. So can you read Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 8? Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 8. Okay, this is the NIV version. Thank you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, predestined us, Uh, to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Thank you. So this passage of scripture, again, I encourage you to read it during the week. We're going to have a look at it. We're going to pull out the two sides of the cross um, and J- Jamie's just got some people, uh, some verses. When I, when I call out that verse, that's your cue to, um, to read. So if you're drawing the picture in your notes, this is the left-hand side of the cross. Under love, we see four words, identity, protection, provision, and goodness. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's the passage of scripture that relates to identity. Who's got John chapter 1 and verse 12? Who has John chapter 1 verse 12? Louise does. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Yeah, so God's given us a right to become his child. That's our identity. That's who we are in him. The second word is protection. Have a look at verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. So I'm going to look at Ephesians 1, and then the others are reading supporting verses. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be holy and without fault. God loved us and chose us. We're, we're, we're set apart as his. Who's got 1 Peter 1 verse 5? Thanks, Isaac. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Awesome. So, so what we've got here is we're covered by his power. That's a really important revelation for us. The third word is provision. 
Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1 says this, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God has given us all sufficiency in all circumstances. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Right, this is from The Voice. Um, now may the God of peace who brought you gra the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, come back from the dead through the blood of the new everlasting covenant, perfect in every good work as you, as you work God's will. May God do in you only those things that are pleasing in his sight through Jesus the anointed, our liberating king, to whom we give glory always and forever. Amen. Amen. So, so God made provision for everything that we were required to do. He's already made available all access that we need into God's power and love and grace in order that we would be able to fully do those things that he's asked us to do. The fourth word is goodness. And in verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, God has showered his kindness on us. And, and some translations say his loving kindness, which is translated his immense goodness. James chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. Who has that? Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Yeah, so, so God gives us his goodness in order that we would then pass that on to others. The whole concept of this, this love that God's given us is it's not something we contain, but that we share it. And so God gives us a brilliant example of that. The second side of the cross is grace. And the four words that I'd like to introduce you to here, um, the first one's a little technical, but I, I put it in here on purpose. Propitiation is a word that's used in theology, being the knowledge and understanding of God. We'll explain that. The second one is atonement. The third one is redemption. And the fourth one is righteousness. What I'm about to give you is a four-step understanding of what you accessed when you said yes to Jesus. Propitiation in verse 7. Let's have a look at Ephesians 1. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, Jesus. Propitiation is a substitute. So who's got 1 John 4 verse 10? Uh, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you. So what that says is that God loved us so much that Jesus became our substitute. That, that God would look upon us with favor, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And so what that means is God's grace is made available even though we're not perfect. The second, the second word is atonement. In verse 6 of Ephesians 1, it says, He poured out this glorious grace upon us who belong to Jesus. So the glorious grace that God has for us. Who has got Romans 3, 25 and 26? For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. 
For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when when they believe in Jesus. Amen. There's the gospel message right there, that the atonement is when Jesus' blood sets us free. So what that means is the sacrifice of Jesus is what makes us clean, and that's what we're about to see next. Redemption, it says in verse 7, God purchased our freedom. So we've been redeemed, which means we've been bought back, which means we've been set free. Who's got John 8? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Amen. So we've been brought back from slavery into God's family, and that's called being redeemed. And the last one is righteousness. In verse 4, it says, Before God made the world, he loved us and chose us to be holy and without fault. Righteousness means right standing before God. It means when we stand before God, we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be worried He sees our evil thoughts or our our past. We have right standing before God because of what Jesus has done for us. Romans 10 verse 10 says, When you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that He was raised from the dead by God's mighty power and you confess with your mouth, you're saved, you receive righteousness. That's what this means. And so the, the picture here, thanks for those who, who, who joined us in reading today, the picture on the screen is the two sides of God's cross, that His love would draw you into His family and His grace, His mercy, would pay the price that you don't have to. That's what's amazing about God's love. And this describes, I I know it's a little technical, but if if you're new to faith or you've never studied this before, go and have a look at those verses. Listen to the podcast again. I'll I'll put some notes up on our website because I I really want you to understand just how much God's done for you. And in all of that, look on the screen, what He's made available is your forgiveness. That everything you've ever done or ever will do is covered under the cross. That forgiveness is God's gift to you. It's love and grace extended to the world in practical ways. I love the way God invites us into relationship. I want to very quickly point you to a story in the, in the gospel of Matthew, um, Matthew 18. Because there's a story here where God shows us what love looks like in action from his side. And then he invites us to choose how we're going to respond. God's love is constant. His grace is available. We see that in the cross. But the truth is, we get to choose how we respond to it. And so I want to read you the story, Matthew chapter 18 from verse 21. It's called the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven, which is a real mess up in their head because their law only said three. And so Jesus, as he does, says, therefore, 
What that means is, to help me explain to you what I just messed you up with, let me tell you a story, we enter into the parable. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared or is such like a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in and owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife and children and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, begging him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. The master was filled with pity and compassion and released him and forgave the entire debt. When that man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him just a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for just a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded, using the same cry the man had just used himself. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. When the king called the man in, he had forgiven, and he said to him, You're an evil servant. I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What's the purpose of this story for us today? This story shows us an application of God's love and the opportunity to respond. You see, like I've said today, we get to choose how we respond to that love, and in doing so, we choose how to experience freedom or not. See, unfortunately, the key guy in the story, the unforgiving debtor, he missed the opportunity. He received so much grace from his master who forgave millions in debt. His debt was huge, and yet it was forgiven completely. And then he turned around straight away and couldn't forgive a small debt that someone else owed to him. And what I want you to see in the story is this. His failure to extend love and grace to another person meant that he was imprisoned, in bondage, and he was tortured for his sins. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Looking at the screen, what is our response to God's love and grace. We need to respond in the same way. In the same way God extends to us love and grace, our response to that is also to extend love and grace to others. You see, love and grace are the result of God's intervention in our lives. What does it look like? Well, when we respond, we respond to God's forgiveness by extending forgiveness to others. Now, this is not easy. The reality is, people do hold on to hurt. 
And they do that with a good reason. You see, some experiences we have in life are truly life-altering. They shape us into who we are. Some of the pain in our childhood is what develops our character. It's who we are. Some of our viewpoints on life or our viewpoints on God have actually been created by other people in the way they've treated us or the way that they have responded to what we've done or the way they've chosen to isolate themselves from us and keep a distance. This parable acknowledges the pain of the past, but it shows us something very, very powerful. Our response is love and forgiveness. Forgiveness is the result of God's intervention in our lives. So how do we access freedom? We access freedom through forgiveness. What we need to understand first and foremost, that what this says is that we, we access freedom because God's forgiven us. And I hope that the the multiple scriptures. I know there was a lot of information there, but I hope you process those and understand that God truly forgives you when you respond to his love. That's how we access freedom. But secondly, we also access by forgiving others. And love and grace is extended to others. But there's a flip side of this, and I want to make sure it's really obvious. Our ability to extend Inability to extend forgiveness to others is what limits our experience of God's freedom. And we see this in the parable that we read in Matthew chapter 18. The man who had received so much grace and forgiveness turned around and condemned that man who owed him a small amount of money. What was the fruit of that choice he made? He was sent to prison and he was tortured for his sins. What I want you to see today is the same thing happens to us. Your inability to extend forgiveness to other people is what limits your experience of God's freedom. Look, look at what happened to the man in the story. The same thing happens to us. You see, unforgiveness locks us in prison. It locks us in bondage. It locks us in captivity. And it locks us in isolation. All those things are what the man experienced when he was sent back by his master. And what does it look like for you or someone close to you? By holding on to unforgiveness toward another person, you're actually binding yourself to them and you're not experiencing God's freedom in all its fullness. The outcome of that is that you'll be tormented by pain and hurt because you've not let go. You're probably going to become captive to negative thinking and feelings, most of which are negative about yourself. It's quite likely that that person will have a stronghold over you, they'll have a a bondage over you, and that's going to limit what you can or cannot say, or how you feel, and it's not determined by you, it's determined by them. This is what bondage looks like. Sometimes a victim of pain becomes a prisoner in their own insecurity, and that insecurity keeps them from the very support that God has for them. That's what a prison looks like. I'll give you an example. 
It's my, um, it's my understanding by working with people and families that there are some who judge God because once upon a time, someone in the church made them feel sad or insecure. Possibly, they might have said a harsh word against them, or what they may have done, which is horrific, is they may have disclosed something confidential, either purposefully or by accident. And that's created a hurt, that hurt has created pain, that has created an offence, but the offence is held on to. And so people hold on to that offence, they judge the church and everyone in it, and they judge God because of what they experienced. And the fruit of that is bitterness. And bitterness comes and captivates our heart and poisons us, which restricts how we can see God's love for ourselves. And it's all because we're holding on to that thing that God doesn't want us to hold on to. What happens in that example, and we've got stories like this in Te Aumudu, people keep themselves away from the family of God because of the misbelief that God doesn't love them. And so in doing so, they penalize themselves by keeping themselves away from the very love they need to receive. Do you think that's God's plan for them? Of course not. Now, this kind of deception, and it is deception, keeps people away from love, but you need to hear me when I say this. I absolutely understand why people do that. I, I hear the stories, and I go, you know what, I understand. And I don't judge people for making that choice, but I do know this, there's a better way to live. God has made His love and grace available to us personally in order that we would then pass that love and grace on to others, holding on to no offense and offering forgiveness. But I do know that's not easy. It's monumental in some cases, but the truth is, we don't do it in our own strength. If you or someone you know is in bondage or in isolation, then I want you to hear when God says He's calling people back into His family. And it's going to take, it's going to take a big step. I tweeted this last night, the price of freedom is risk because freedom always requires vulnerability. The price of freedom is risk because freedom always requires vulnerability. There's one final slide I want to show you, and it's really, really important. As I close this message, I want you to, to understand where I'm coming from when I say this, but God has so much more for us. God has so much more for us to experience, and it's on the other side of us extending forgiveness to people. See, I know that there are some people right here, right now, who struggle to connect with God. There are others who feel disconnected from church family. You can feel lonely in a crowd because of the condition of your heart. And then the Lord said this to me as I was preparing. There are also people here who are locked in bad health. And I want to show you why. Unforgiveness blocks the healing power of God. It blocks the healing power of God in our spirit and how we connect to God. Unforgiveness blocks the healing power of God in our soul, how we connect with our emotions to other people. But hear this also, unforgiveness blocks the healing power in your body. There is medical evidence that shows 
that the bitterness that's caused by unforgiveness has a negative impact on the makeup of your body and therefore your health. And so the way to find freedom from that could simply be to step into a place of forgiveness, to experience God's love and grace, extend that love and grace, and then find God's freedom. Can you please stand? For some of you today, God is saying it's time to let go of the past. For some of you, God is saying it's time to move into a greater experience of the freedom God's got for you. But the truth is, to step into that freedom, it's going to require you to let go of the past. It's going to require you to take a risk, to step out of the prison cell that has been your memories and move into a place of vulnerability where God's going to bring His love to bring you to freedom. Today is the day, hopefully, today is the day where you step in to a greater measure of trust with Father God. Because the truth is, when you let go of this, you'll find His love so much more easily. We've got a music video playing. And I'm inviting you to respond to what God's wanting to do. We're going to listen to the music. Hopefully. And I want, to, I want you to ask this question with me. Close your eyes. And let's ask God a question. Here's how you know if this is for you. Ask God this question. Repeat after me. Father God, is there someone you would like me to forgive today? Now, I understand what this might mean for you to step out into a place of risk. But I'm declaring today that this is a safe place. That we have, we have the opportunity to step into the freedom that Jesus Christ has made available for us. And if you feel that God would like you to let go of something, to offer forgiveness, then I would invite you to come and stand at the front as a symbol of your willingness to take a risk in God. Because God will meet you when you step out into a place of vulnerability. If you heard God say, yes, you need to forgive someone, just come and spend time with them up here as the music plays. There's a simple prayer that I can lead you in where you offer forgiveness and release yourself from the pain, where you receive what God's got for you, gifts of love and connection, gifts of grace, gifts of intimacy, but it only comes as we step into a place of vulnerability.